0: Mud Stories, episode
1: 13. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a
2: safer place nearly impossible to have hope for tomorrow apart from God, but when we offer God whatever broken pieces of our life that we have, even if we're the one that has smashed it to smithereens, and we have all of these broken pieces that are even we're to blame for, when we offer them to Him, we cannot predict the beauty that He is able to make from those broken pieces. When God rescued me, He rescued my unborn baby, also. Jesus saved my soul, and God used my daughter to save my life.
0: Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. You know, one of the main themes of this podcast is redemption. How our God takes something broken, something tragic, something completely overwhelming in our lives, and he brings something good, even just one thing good, out of it. And I believe with all my heart that one thing we can know for sure is that God redeems all things. And it may take a long time for some of us, it may happen quickly for others of us, and some of us may never see the redemption or any good that comes from our situation, but God still is in control, and his plan for us is good, even when we can't see how. And today, I'm talking with Michelle Lynn Alt, who is a wife and a mama to four beautiful children. She blogs about making a home, motherhood, missions, and embracing beautiful messes, all while learning to live a life surrendered. She's an advocate for worldhelp.net and is currently back in school seeking a degree in organizational leadership. And she is here today to share her redemptive mud story, a story that God has been redeeming throughout multiple points in her life. And in this episode, we talk about how the lack of a father in her young life affected her heart. We discuss the illusion uh, that women have of trading sex to get the affection and the love that they need. Uh, We discuss the reality and impact that a teenage pregnancy has on a life and the option even that is abortion. Michelle Lynn describes how we can feel God's love through being loved by other people because there were other people in her life who showed that kind of love and helped her see God even though she didn't know God at the time. And also she discusses how God is with us even when we're not aware of him. And sometimes it's something that we only see when we look back, when we see behind us once we've gone through the mud that we're in. And she also discusses how healing from shame and becoming whole is a process that takes time. In this episode, Michelle Lynn shares with candor and transparency from a heart that is moved by all God has done in her life, including even redemption that she's seen God bring in just even the last five years. We serve a God who is so good to not only redeem our stories once, but continue to weave the thread of redemption through our lives again and again. And it's my hope that you will be inspired and moved by the goodness of God as you hear Michelle Lynn share her story. And may you know as you listen that what he's done for her, he can and he will do for you. Enjoy. Hi, Michelle Lynn. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. Thanks for being here today and for being willing to come and share with us your personal Mud Story.
2: Jackie, I am so honored to be here. Speaking with you, sharing the testimony of God's goodness in in our lives. I thank you. I appreciate it so very much.
0: Mm, well, love you, friend. Well, your passion for excellence coupled with your compassion for people just inspires me so much. And also just your love for God. You know, we've had many phone conversations together as I drive to the hospital early in the morning. You know, you're in Florida, I'm in California. So that works and just the way you have a love for people around the world is so contagious to me, and I'm just so thankful to know you. I really am.
2: I appreciate you so much, Jackie. Your 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 whole life just exudes grace from God, and you've been such a blessing to me, and um, an encouragement, and a, a sister in Christ, and those phone calls have been so life-giving.
0: And that's how it should be when we're uh, sisters in Christ, right? Amen. So... So let's go back. Uh, Let's go back 20 years or so. I think it is your life and outlook wasn't as hopeful back then as it is today. Can you share with us? Will you share with us? Help us go back with you and really understand what you faced, how you began facing it, and all of that you really started to wade through. Where did your mud begin?
2: I've considered this question before and I've pinpointed one moment in time that is just a vivid memory for me that I think has had affected my adolescent years and growing up years. I was about five years old and my mother had told me to go sit on my father's lap. I remember he was sitting down on a sofa and it was like she was introducing me to a stranger although he lived with us until I was 13 years old. So he was there, but I didn't know him. And I remember going to sit on his lap, and it just felt like he was just cold and rigid and like I was sitting on a statue. And I had a fear, and there was no tenderness or love. And I got off his lap, and from from then on, my my memories are scattered, but... Hmm. I think what is important to know is um, my, ch- my, my mother and father got divorced when I was five years old. And um, I don't have a lot of memories of my childhood, but I do know that my dad lived in the basement in our New York home while my mother and brother and I lived upstairs. So it was already a, um, a dysfunctional arrangement it was unhealthy but I didn't know any different I didn't know what it was that there really was something um not right with that situation and mm-hmm. how it would af- how it would affect me and so so that was hard for you because you didn't
0: feel as a child that attachment to a dad yes
2: yeah. and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized how important it is for me to know the love of my father yeah and how it affected my decisions my self-esteem my yeah. self-value
0: well then it leaves a hole in our soul that uh, we long to have filled and you know we fill it probably in different ways also we can project that knowledge of what a dad is onto god right and it affects how we see god as well so you know the impact of not having that nurturing bond is widespread i would imagine
2: no it definitely was i grew up um in what i would call a godless home simply because there was no there was talk of religion and we occasionally attended sunday mass but there was no talk of relationships so god was very foreign to me my dad what And I didn't have a relationship, and I later learned he really did love me the best he knew how. He came from a very broken home. i i as as a child going into the teenage years, I grew up with a very um, I don't know how to explain it in simple terms, but I had very dis I had very little regard for my future. So I had very little regard for the decisions that I made and how it might hurt or adversely affect my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do think, in my case, it came down to not knowing my self-worth and my self-value. And I didn't know the love of God at the time. I didn't have the love of my Father. Um, and that, that hole or vacuum or just emptiness that you described earlier was present and so I looked for affirmation from boys at a very young age and so I was only 13 years old when I first gave myself away to someone who was virtually a stranger and so that seek and that desperate longing to be loved actually was the start of a promiscuous lifestyle for me
0: which is so, so very common, so common in many stories.
2: So as you
0: sought that affirmation and affection from boys and promiscuity began for you, what did that look like throughout junior high and high school? I mean, what, did that lead to more loneliness or was there excitement in getting attention and affection? Was it like a challenge or did it lead to despair? What was your experience with that?
2: I think that's actually the whole deception in seeking love in all the wrong places. And I don't want to sound cliche, but mm-hmm. um, in essence, that's what it is. It's a very real thing when a daughter has not received the love from her father and the affirmation that she needs or she goes to seek love from boys and giving her, her body over with the hopes that she would the love um, would be reciprocated.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: it's so layered and complex because there would, there would almost be a false sense of fulfillment for a very brief moment, or perhaps it was just a false expectation, a hope that because I said yes, because I satisfied this boy, then my hope was that I would get the love or the respect or, um, the kindness or being cherished in return, but that rarely happened. And so instead I was left very shameful and more empty than it was before. And it began to chip away at my soul like bit by bit because the part that wanted that love started to become harder and harder because of the pain associated with trying to get that love.
0: So as an adolescent girl, 13, 14, 15 You know, your journey and experience through junior high and high school, you know, getting that soul hole filled with the attention and affection from boys, from giving yourself away. What kind of feelings and emotions and experiences did that cause for you in your growing up formative years?
2: Well, I think the way that you described seeking fulfillment or that filling that void through these relationships that I was having with boys, and really they were more relations than relationships. Mm-hmm. That's the deception of it. It wasn't filling the emptiness. It was just expanding the emptiness. And being hollowed out and that empty space being filled with more and more darkness and more shame and more depression and less self-worth, it it just chipped away at my soul, and, and 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 I think that's the deception. At all, it's trying to find love in all the wrong places because you think that the love will be reciprocated.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: No, and and it isn't. When a when a young girl or a woman feels that the her most valuable asset is her body, because not understanding your worth and your self worth as a person causes you to settle for so much less than you were made for. Mm -hmm. And that less, when you settle, just seems to bring you down further and further.
0: Yeah, well, the lie is that you're trading sex to get affection, to get that need met, and it doesn't meet that need at all. In fact, what you're describing is it makes it worse.
2: Yeah, and I think that as even as a young girl, because I didn't enjoy it, I yeah. was giving the boys what I thought they needed mm-hmm. or what I thought they wanted so that love could be reciprocated so that I could get where I just wanted love and affirmation and consideration. And so I thought, well, this must be the way to get it.
0: Right. And we see it in so many girls today. I mean, that is the lie. So as, as you're experiencing all of that, what ended up happening
2: The decisions that I made to to lead that promiscuous life with little regard for my future, because I didn't have a sense of self-worth or self-value, I didn't think about my actions affecting my future. And so when I was 15 years old, I ended up finding out that I was pregnant. And the ironic thing about how I found out is one morning I woke up and I started throwing up. I thought I had been sick from drinking the night before, and I hadn't ever gotten sick from drinking, so I was really confused about that. And so a couple of weeks later, I decided to take a pregnancy test because I was late, and sure enough, it turned out to be a positive result. I was pregnant, 15 years old. Where were you when you saw the test? Well, I took several tests, actually. Um, I believe the first time that I saw a positive result was in a Walmart bathroom.
0: Hmm. You were alone. What did you do? What were you thinking?
2: I was thinking that I need to get rid of the baby. That really was my first thought. I was not ready to be a mother. I didn't have any desire to be. I didn't understand there was a life growing inside of me. I just thought, I can't be pregnant, my mom will kill me, and I would not have any idea what to do with a baby. I wasn't an emotional, I didn't, wasn't stable, I wasn't. I wasn't in a place where I felt I was capable to take care of a baby. Yeah. And so I kept it secret for my friends. I kept it secret for my mother. And the first thing I started doing was collecting money and I would t- take money, whatever money I had extra saved up, whatever money I could find in the house. Um, eventually I told my best friend and she tried to help me get money. I asked the father of the baby for money and eventually, um, I discovered I didn't have enough money because I actually thumbed through the yellow pages of the phone book and found an abortion clinic where I could, where I actually made an appointment to have an abortion and the lady on the other end of the phone told me the price of the abortion Hmm. and she said the price would go up after 12 weeks. So I had 12 weeks to collect all the money and um, I didn't need my mother's permission to have an abortion. And the uh, only other instruction from the lady on the phone was to ignore the protesters out front. And so I was short $70. And I was getting very close to the 12 weeks where the price was going to go up to have an abortion. And so I called my sister, who lived in California at the time. I lived in Florida. And I asked her for the other $70. And when I did she said Michelle I can't let you do this put mom on the phone and at that moment I was in my bedroom I was by myself Mm -hmm. and I knew I was at the end like I had exhausted all my resources I didn't know what else to do and I think secretly at the time I may not have even realized it I was just relieved yeah because I didn't know the response that my mother was going to give me and I was afraid because we did not have a good relationship. And so I was rebellious and disrespectful and disobedient. So I wasn't sure how my mother would react to my sister telling her that I was pregnant. But I remember sitting there in my room that night and the door was closed. I had given my mother the phone and I was ready to take anything that my mother was going to throw at me. I, I was defiant and defensive. And I was just ready to to give her whatever, to rebuttal whatever she was going to come against me with. Mm -hmm. You expected a fight. I sure did. Yeah. And I was ready. Hmm. And she came in to my room and she said to me, tomorrow, we're going to go to the store and we're going to buy you an outfit for church. And I wasn't ready for that. At her demonstration of unconditional love towards me as her daughter, who was in the deepest, darkest place of her life at that moment, who's gotten herself into the biggest mess that a teenager could, a teenage girl could find herself in, where she had every right to reject me or accuse me or punish me, she offered unconditional love And I was defenseless against it. And I I think it was at that moment that all these walls that I had built up, just from years of pain and years of strife and years of hurt, just started to come down. My mother told me later, not much later, but later, that had it been six months earlier, she would have drove me to the abortion clinic herself. But six months earlier, she had given her life to Christ and that changed everything for my daughter and I.
0: Hmm. Had you known about her experience meeting Christ?
2: I did because shortly after she had accepted the Lord, she had taken my brother and I for a drive and she explained it to us. And she simply said, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. My life is now going to begin to change in a lot of ways and i want you to know him too and i was still very rebellious and hard and cold Mm -hmm. defiant and so i didn't want anything to do with her jesus it still felt very foreign to me god felt very foreign and disconnected Mm -hmm. and so i didn't want anything to do with her jesus as far as i was concerned she was crazy
0: Mm hmm Well, because you didn't see any practical way Jesus could make a difference for what you needed.
2: I didn't even believe in Jesus. Yeah. I just didn't even, I mean, yes, because I didn't, I didn't believe him. The only experience of God was really just a form of religion. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea, not even an inkling of what it meant to give your life to the Lord and accept him as savior. You just knew what it felt
0: like to have grace-filled words spoken to you as almost like an alleviation of the desperation that you were thinking you were facing.
2: That was, yes, because that was about four months after. That was about four or f- five months after my mom had told me of her decision. And so I had already been hearing her share here and there, her stories about God, or she would have tapes, cassette tapes of preachers speaking in the house. And even though it frustrated me, I couldn't help but hear it. And so when it came to that night, at the moment, I didn't equate her reaction to the love of God. But it didn't matter. Because when, when God is loving through a person, that person on the receiving end doesn't need to know that this is God's love because the power of his love does a transformative work that no human can make happen. Yeah. And that's what was happening at that moment, that that was the beginning of my conversion because of the demonstration, the action of love, of God's love coming through a person.
0: That's so powerful. And it just speaks to me how The power of God's love flowing through us can change someone's life. And we don't even have to know that it's going to do that. We just have to be faithful to love God and love others in his name. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you went to the store, you got some new clothes, and you went to church. What happened? What did life look like as a pregnant teenager? I mean, what? Actually, I didn't go to church.
2: You didn't go to church. No, I didn't go to church. Okay, so you went to the store and got a new outfit at least? <laughs> I did. I did. And I remember because my mom was a single mom and we didn't have a lot of money. And so we went to the store where everything cost $7. And I remember we picked out this taupe polyester suit, which was long pants and a vest-like top, which served as the... Uh, you know, as the shirt and kind of faux jacket, I guess. And so I did purchase that outfit. My, my relationship with my mother changed. Um, it became a lot more, because my defenses were down, mm-hmm. it just became a lot more cordial and we were talking more. And so I was, I was, I found out I was pregnant between my ninth and tenth grade year of high school. So I was a freshman going to be a junior. Uh, going to be a sophomore. And so shortly after I found that I was pregnant, it was time to start 10th grade. And so I spent the entire year of 10th grade pregnant. Um, I took the bus to school every morning. I would come home, um, run to the house, get changed into a Baskin Robbins uniform, run out and catch the city bus. Some days, literally holding my belly like in my hands while I ran Probably three quarters of a mile to the city bus stop so that I could work till about 11 o'clock at night and then come home and do more homework. And so that went on for my pretty much my entire sophomore year. But I remember at one point, I think I was about six months pregnant, and my mother had given me a pamphlet that was like the salvation the story of salvation and how to be saved and pray the sinner's prayer. It was like one of those kind of booklets. And I remember sitting on my bed and I told the Lord, and I wasn't even really I wouldn't say that I had actually prayed the sinner's prayer except of the Christ as Lord. It definitely wasn't living for him. But I remember telling the Lord that if he would take my baby, if he would just take if he would just take the baby, then then I would live for him. Then I would serve him.
0: If he would take the baby as in if the baby would pass away?
2: Yes. Hmm. Yes, I I asked him. I just, It was like an ultimatum or a deal I was trying to make with the Lord. I don't even think I addressed him as Lord. Well, because it sounds like you just
0: were so desperate facing this idea that you're going to become a mother, that you're going to have a newborn, that you're going to be 16 years old. And you had no idea what you could possibly do with that.
2: Now, that's exactly right. Yeah. And and um, so that day, on the bed, and I'm pretty sure I didn't address him as Lord, and I just said, God, take the baby, and I'll live for you. I'll do whatever you want. That's probably how I said it, because it's, it's hard to imagine an unchurched teenage girl i've been serving the lord for so long but we forget when we serve the lord for so long we forget that some of the things and the terminology that comes very natural to us isn't something that's natural to people who don't know god and haven't you know lived for god and so i i'm sure sitting on the bed that day it was just so plain and harsh and just like god you know if you take this baby, then I'll do whatever you want. You know, it was that kind of thing. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, he didn't. But looking back now, I can see even though I wasn't with the Lord in mm-hmm. my mind, I wasn't consciously aware of him. He was with me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He was with me all along. Even all those young years when I felt very alone and I wasn't consciously aware, I can look back and I could see where he saved me and he preserved my life and Mm -hmm. he protected me and he comforted me. And so even on that bed, he did not, I could just even picture him right now, just, just being with me, sitting with me as I'm talking and telling him these things coming from this, you know, this young girl who just didn't have any idea what life was about yet. And, And him just saying, that's all that I need. You're cracking the door just a little bit open Mm -hmm. for me. And that is all that I need. And so he didn't take my child, but he he started reaching out to me. How did you see God reaching out to you?
0: I mean, did you go to church at all? Did you meet people who
2: followed him? I did not go to church. Because I was ashamed of going to church. I had a belly and I committed a sin Mm. that was very, that I wore. Mm
3: -hmm. It
2: wasn't one that I could hide. And so I didn't go to church, actually. Mm -hmm. But my mother had the preaching tapes, the preaching cassettes. So she would say, hey, this is a good one. Why don't you listen to this? Or I would hear it in the car on the way to go somewhere, little bits here and there. And then I'd hear some worship music she would play. And and little by little, my heart just started being softened to receive some of what was being said or, and some of what I was hearing. I remember when my desire started to change. Like what I was desiring, what I used to want before, even though it would cause me harm, I didn't want any more.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, I, and I began to want to learn more about God. And that one of the pamphlets that she gave me, I did read the sinner's prayer out loud. I may not have felt any different when I read it, but it was enough for God. And that is how I saw him working, because he started little by little changing my desires.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not about the words that we say when we confess our faith in Christ. It's not about literally repeating the words. It's about a contrite heart and a surrendered heart to the ways of God. And God doesn't need words to see that.
2: I didn't yet possess that, to be honest with you. That wasn't until I actually walked in the church for the first time. When did that happen? Two weeks after my baby was born. I gave birth to a baby girl in between my sophomore and junior year of high school. It was exactly eight weeks out from when my next school year was starting. And eight weeks was exactly the time that the daycare needed to be able to, to take her. So I named her Sarai Helene, and she was seven pounds, 11 ounces, Do you remember what you felt the first time
0: they put her in your arms? I do. Because I am present at many births and I many times am that person who gives that mom her baby and each and every time it is a remarkable thing to witness um, because many women look at their baby for the first time and you can see the profound love on their face but an equal number of women see their baby for the first time, and you can see the fear. And um, it's a holy moment. And I'm just wondering, what was that like for you?
2: For me, the whole process of giving birth was such a scary thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was such a new thing and an unknown thing. You know, I was 16 years old by the time I gave birth, um, I didn't have any painkillers, so it was a natural birth. And I was exhausted. Mm, so hard. After it.
0: So hard.
2: And so, honestly, I don't even remember.
0: hmm Well, it was probably very overwhelming.
2: It was, but there, But in the middle of the night, because I was so overcome with exhaustion. Yeah. And in the middle of the night, they brought the baby to me, and I, I literally physically could not take her.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I I asked the nurse if she would just please take care of her, and I remember the nurse looking back at me, and gave me this really odd kind of look, and she just took the baby back with her, and and I went to sleep. But once I was, once I was refreshed physically, mm-hmm. that would that's when I would consider my first time. I was like in a state of almost delirium. I was just. I was just so utterly exhausted. So the first time that I was fully awake and, and I had energy and I was able to, to see her, it was at that time when I knew where I assumed this role of fighting for my daughter. Like, I don't even know how else to describe it. But for me, becoming a mother meant I was going to stand and I was going to defend my daughter. And protect her from the pain, you know, of this world. And so I remember in those early years, that's what my motherhood was about. was about me standing as her guard. And when it comes to my children, even today, I look at it as I'm the gatekeeper Hmm. um, to their hearts. And I stand guard over them and stand in the gap for them and fight for their souls and fight for their hearts and it doesn't mean that my motherhood's rooted in fear. If anything, it's, it's, it's rooted in understanding. It's rooted in love, knowing the love of God and how the love of God is really the source of all life and freedom and healing and wholeness and health.
0: So the baby's here. You're a teen mom now. Um, you mentioned you walked into church two weeks after she was born. What happened?
2: I will never forget what happened when I walked in the church two weeks after Sarai was born. I was all by myself. I was wearing the outfit that my mother had purchased for me when she discovered I was pregnant. So you got there in the outfit. The outfit made it to church. The outfit made it to church. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I remember sitting there listening to the preacher. I don't even remember his message. But at the end of it, he extended an invitation for anyone who would like to give their life over to the Lord to come to the front. And I didn't know even what that meant. But I saw people answering his invitation were walking up to the front. And they some would stand and some would get on their knees at what he called the altar. And so even though in, in my heart I was I had trepidation because of what people might think, at the same time, I was so compelled that I just went. At that moment where I, where I kneeled at that altar, that I not only began a life surrender to God, I received the greatest revelation of God's love, where all that love that I was looking for <sighs> from my dad mm-hmm. that I didn't get, mm-hmm. the love that I was looking for from those boys that just used and abused me, that I never got. Hmm. It was like in that moment I got that love that I had been searching for and he became not just my lord but the lover of my soul. And I have never turned back from him. I know there are stories and I know people who might be considered, you know, as Christians, sometimes we call them backslidden Christians. People who have slid back into just their old ways of living. It was never, ever a consideration, even after two decades, because of the revelation of God's love for me at that moment, when He became the lover of my soul, and I knew that I had found the man that I was looking for, and the love that I needed, and that began my journey.
0: Well, because in Christ, you became a new creation, a new creature. The old was passed away. The new had come. And for you, that was a very memorable, pivotal moment in time. You know, for some of us, it happens as a more gradual experience. But um, what a beautiful moment that is that you actually met Jesus, you know, and and it changed everything. How did it change as you walked forward from there as a teen mom? Because I'm guessing the challenges did not go away. I mean, you still had a baby. You still had your junior year of high school. You still had all the challenges as a teen mom. How did that go? What happened?
2: Yes. All of the above. I had (laughs) all of the above. Yes. But Um, Jesus was with you, clearly. Yes? Yes. Yes. It made all all the difference. Yeah. Um, My mother was extremely supportive. We had to go on um, governmental assistance government assistance. Mm -hmm. So I received, um, aid for, for baby formula and, um, baby cereal and baby Mm -hmm. food and also for medical expenses and for daycare. And so the, the financial struggle was there. Um, the logistics was challenging of getting the baby to daycare while I was trying to go to school. And, Mm -hmm. and it was, my mother was a huge support. I was, um, school wasn't a struggle for me, even during my very difficult, rebellious, challenging, defiant teenage years. School was just one of those things that wasn't a struggle for me. So I was able to keep my grades up. But probably the biggest change that I saw happen, which I didn't even realize, was that change that comes as a response to God's Spirit living inside of a person who's accepted. Crisis, Lord, that change that is in starts from the inside out—a transformation, a work of God's Spirit to transform a life. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know sex before marriage was a sin. I didn't know it was something I shouldn't be doing, and so I actually—I still had several boyfriends, um, not at the same time, but I had several boyfriends, and one in particular that I was actually. Um, dated me while I was pregnant, and so he kind of he was waiting for me to have the baby so that we could actually have sex. And I remember even there was a couple of times where I just thought, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like I was loving, like I loved God, and I still thought this is what I was supposed to do because I just didn't know.
0: Yeah.
2: And there were very specific times where God intervened and He preserved me. And God, helped me stay pure until I realized His His plan for my life, and that His way was better. And His way was waiting for marriage and for the one that He had for me. And so that was the big change for me because I didn't know that I didn't know what living for a Christian meant or what it looked like. And so my friend, my my friends, some of them actually actually started being influenced by my decision. A very close friend of mine got saved around the same time that I did. and So we were able to grow in the Lord together. And so over the next two years of high school I ended up not not staying with um, that boyfriend that I had. I met another one from church whom I didn't end up staying with either. Um, But over those next two years I started going to church regularly and I had a good friend uh, that friend that also got saved at the same time we were just growing together. We started a Bible study in the school, the first one um, the school ever had, and it actually started in the classroom, just a few of us. And a couple of years after we graduated high school, it got it grew so large it actually had a meet in the school auditorium, which was pretty awesome. Um, and so I was like, I was very passionate about my my walk with god it became more and more passionate as i as i got older and i was very mission minded and i just wanted to evangelize the whole school <laughs> and so that the like that really did like that started to happen
0: because when we meet the love of god it it so powerfully changes everything. I mean, no matter if we come from a background like you had experienced or we grew up in a Christian home, the love of God is transformative. And so, it's just one of those things that why wouldn't you want to share it with someone else, especially if it if you've seen the remarkable change that it made in you, right? Amen. Right. So, so as you went forward through adulthood as a mom, what are some of the things you began to learn? What did God begin to teach you maybe about life, about Him, about being a mom?
2: Well, I think it's important because the story started out with the, about the men in my life, beginning with my father, boys mm-hmm. that were not good for me, mm-hmm. boyfriends that were not meant to be my husband even after I met the Lord. There was one particular person that I actually had a big crush on and I had started to surrender even more my own desires where I just wanted God's desires but I still had this desire for someone and I wasn't sure if it was what God wanted for me and so I remember this year that I spent wrestling with God back and forth where it was there was this worship song that I wanted to sing so desperately with all of my heart because I wanted to mean what i was saying and the song was as the deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you you alone are my heart's desire there's and when that line would come where it says you alone are my heart's desire i couldn't sing it because it wasn't true because there was this 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 wrestling in my heart of well i want this this need or this um Always having to have a boyfriend in my life. You know, since I was in kindergarten, I had a boyfriend. Always having to have a boyfriend in my life. And there was this need for that. And then God wanted to show me I could be fulfilled with Him. And so there was this wrestling in my heart. So for a whole year, that was happening. And I remember, I remember the day that I was able to stand in church and sing those words, because it was this song they sang all the time. My (laughs) favorite song. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. You alone are my heart's desire. And I remember when I was able to sing those words for the first time. And there was such a a liberation. Like, it felt so free to be free of any desire that wasn't of God and to just have His desire. And, you know, it was like two weeks later that my now husband... Asked me on a date, and I remember oh. <laughs> the Lord just, it was like, I asked the Lord, is this okay? You know, because it had been a year since I hadn't had a boyfriend, and I had been praying all this time. And I remember even, I have to back check, because there was this one time I would came home after school, and I went into my mother's closet and I fell on my knees and I just cried and I cried and I cried hmm. and I cried out for God to give me a husband because my daughter needed a father and the next Sunday I went to church. I, after church I was just standing lingering, you know, church was, was over and um, I was just sta- standing while the music continued playing in, my, in the pew and a woman tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and I looked at her. I had no idea who this woman was. And she said, God wanted me to tell you that you don't have to worry about your husband. And my first thought was, I don't even have a husband, lady. I don't know what you're hearing. <laughs> and then she said, because he has someone for you, and he's going to be the desire of your heart. And and she walked away, and I just started crying and praying and I knew that that was an answer from God because of the few days earlier when I had come home from school and and prayed in that closet with such a fervency Mm -hmm. and such a desire for what God wanted. And so it was a couple of weeks after I was able to sing that song with all my heart and mean it. You alone are my heart's desire that my now husband asked me on a date. It was my 18th birthday. (laughs) And... It was like, I asked the Lord, is this okay?" And I had such perfect peace about it. And he was the first man that I felt so comfortable with. I never experienced that before, where I was able to be so comfortable and just myself, without any worry or apprehension or self-consciousness or trying to be someone I'm not, where I was just so peaceful and able to be myself with this then friend, turn <laughs> turn fiance, turn husband.
0: That's beautiful. Tell us a little bit about what you learned along the way. I mean, you met you met your husband, future husband, life marched on, yes? Yes. Looking back, I mean, that was twenty years ago she was born, yeah? Yes. Yeah. How got how did God meet you in those broken places and how has he worked over the years to redeem The situation.
2: If I was going to focus on one thing that I learned, or just one or two things that I've learned, one of the biggest things is Christ has shown me my value to Him—that I He loved me so much and still loves me, that I was worth dying for. And for a young person, for a young girl who is struggling so much with their self-worth and self-identity and self-esteem, to know first that they're that that they're loved by Christ for me to know that I'm loved by God that was the beginning of knowing my true identity mm-hmm. my true identity found in him
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so that has been a process because it, there's a process to becoming whole those those absolutely you know, mm-hmm. the time where i my soul was being chipped away you know and i was being bruised you know and and absolutely. hurt and wounded it took time and so that's been a process and also renewing of my mind and changing my thinking to know
3: mm-hmm.
2: to be able to think the thoughts that God thinks about me. The second thing and it's probably been central to my walk with God is my surrender to Him. You know, the name of my blog is a life surrendered, but it was it was my life long before it was the name of a blog. And it's how I that's how I saw my life that no matter what no matter how much my fierce independence tries to get in the way or no matter how much you know what i ambition tries to creep in or selfish desire tries to creep in my life is surrendered to god in in motherhood has been what god has used to refine me and to humble me and it's motherhood is where my life truly did become surrendered because It's an ultimate test of selflessness, I think, where I I had to learn to become selfless because anytime my selfishness tried to rise to the top, it would make it so difficult for everyone, including myself. And so in that time of being a mother, and now I have four children, so all those years, those 20 years, being um, a mother, God helped me. It's been a long journey. That's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother mud story. My my journey, in motherhood. Yes. Well, what
0: I love so much about it is that one of the things I believe with my whole heart and I will go to my dying day saying is that there is nothing that God will leave unredeemed. And this story of yours is such a beautiful picture of that fact because what started as sin in your life a vacuum a hole of need and desperation for attention and affection what ended up becoming a pregnancy that was essentially unwanted and undesired and actually bargained for for God to take God in his sovereignty ended up using in your life not only your daughter but your other children along the way to help you feel and know his love to help conform your character to his now granted you you've had to live a life surrendered which is your you know purpose online which i love but a surrendered heart is all god needs to use our broken pieces to mend them together and redeem them for good and i just love The picture that your story gives of his redemptive power in our lives. It's really beautiful and inspiring. So, as we consider that today, someone might be listening who is in that dark, hopeless place. Maybe they're a mom who has a daughter who isn't feeling connected or isn't feeling loved maybe they're a single mom who just found jesus and is longing for their rebellious daughter to find him too you know wherever the listener finds himself today is there any words of advice what what wisdom can you offer to a hurting heart today from what you know of your journey that they can know that there's hope too, that they can know that whatever they're facing, God can redeem too. What would you say to them today?
2: Jackie, I think you said it so perfectly about how God is able to take what what was meant for evil and to turn it for good. And when you spoke about redemption in our life, I just kept thinking about my daughter's face. She's so beautiful. She's got the most amazing smile, but beyond her outward appearance, she's got such an inner beauty that literally permeates from her and just grace and beauty and the love of God. And I have seen, you know, when I was saved and rescued, God rescued her. And when I see her, I see God's redemption Mm -hmm. because she has a life that's a desire to live her life as glory to God. And so I love what you said about redemption, but I think to answer the question, what advice would I give to that person who seems like they're in a hopeless situation or has a daughter or even a son um, who might be rebellious and doesn't, just not sure about where their life is gonna end up. I think it's just that we cannot predict our own futures. Mm-hmm. And if I were if I at that moment was gonna take chose to take my daughter's life, I, I do believe that God still could have redeemed that situation. But what I was doing was choosing to take the place of God and make a decision based on what I thought my future would look like because of fear. And that's what I would say to the person that that isn't sure what hope they have for tomorrow. It is nearly impossible to have hope for tomorrow apart from God. But when we offer God whatever broken pieces of our life that we have, even if we're the one that has smashed it to smithereens and we have all of these broken pieces that are even we're to blame for, when we offer them to Him, we cannot predict the beauty that He is able to make from those broken pieces. If we would dare to believe that God is loves us enough to take all of us just as we are in all the broken pieces of our life, we can't even fathom the greatness that He's able to do with our life.
0: Well, and when we know how fiercely we're loved by God, I think your mom demonstrated this so beautifully because she could have preached at you, she could have drug you to church, she could have lectured you. But when there was a moment that you needed her, she chose to extend grace And love that only God could have let her do and I think to a parent who's facing a rebellious child I mean of course us understanding the great love that he has for us that he is passionate for us and that he will you know repair all of our brokenness as the parent but also as we pray for our kids God loves them more than we do and and he can and will work in their lives too. And sometimes our kids have to get completely shattered before they're ready to let God repair them, you know? And so don't you think sometimes it's that patient love like your mom had for you? And then just a lot of prayer and encouragement and patience and just really modeling what it's like to love because tangibly we can tell people about God's love, but unless we meet their tangible needs, um it's, it's sort of a, a concept, not a reality to their heart.
2: I agree with you, Jackie. And I think it comes back to the same thing. And that's it's a surrender, because whether we're trying to be in control of our own life or we're trying to control someone else's life, it's it's an it's a, we have to surrender to God. And I think it comes down to that same thing, even with our own children, where they may not be behaving in a way that we we think is right or They may be doing things that are harmful to them, but we know ultimately we can't make those decisions for their life. We surrender them to God, and we just serve, just like you said, just demonstrations of His love and let His love do the work. We cannot control a person or change a person's heart. Only God can do that. But we
0: can trust in the Lord with our whole hearts even though we don't understand, acknowledging Him, and He promises to make the way straight somehow. And straight might not look like what we think straight should look like, but to Him, He makes it straight in His time.
2: I think it just goes back to us trying to predict the way it should happen or the way that it will happen, that that again, surrendering to His timing and His way, because it's so much higher than our ways.
0: Well, and when God rescued you, He didn't just rescue you, he rescued your daughter. He didn't just save you, you know, he saved the whole entire situation. I mean, tell us about your family today.
2: Well, I'll be married 17 years in December. Sarai was three years old when we got married, but my husband and her actually met when she was a year old. So he's been in her life most of her life, and he has been the father to her most of her life. Sarai has two sisters and one brother, so I have four children. The boy is somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Sarai's, being the oldest, is 20, and the youngest is four years old right now. Then a 10-year-old son, actually 11 now, and a 14-year-old daughter. So your house is full. Full of activity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's actually in college right now. One of the things that I think about all the time is that I was rescued and when I think of God, I think of Him as Rescuer. And my heart's passion, since I met Him, was to also want to live to rescue others. And even though I know it's not ultimately me doing the saving, there are practical ways that people can be saved through people who are hungry being fed, and people who are sick needing medical attention, people who need clean water sources receiving water. And so there are ways. Ultimately, he says, doing the salvation of souls. But, but from you talking about redemption. Mm-hmm. I want to live my life in such a way that another might be saved.
0: Okay. Well, tell us about that. Tell us where can we find you online, and tell us a little bit about the organization you're affiliated with to help spread God's redemptive love around the world.
2: My blog is alifesurrender.com. Or you could find me through my name michellelinalt.com and pretty much on any social network with the same I started blogging really just as an extension of my life lived for God I want to uh, open up my life and similar to mud stories and what you're doing here Jackie just a desire to open my life with up to others, both the trials and the triumphs and seeing God's redemption so that with the hope that others would open their life up to God. So I mm-hmm. share my testimony and my stories on the blog with a little bit more detail. I used to think that I was going to be a missionary when I was that young, radically saved youth. And so when I became a stay-at-home mom and God was doing that really deep work in my heart, um, I, I that desire to, to reach a nation's never left.
3: Hmm. Shortly
2: after I started blogging, God just really began to reawaken that desire. And my prayer became, how do I reach the world from home? Because motherhood, my children, my family, my home was a priority to me and still is. How do I reach the world from home? Well, Well, because when you meet the passionate love of
0: Christ, you long for others to know it too.
2: Yes. Yes. And so in the summer of 2012... I wrote a blog post, God's Been Waiting for My Yes, because I was praying that prayer ahead or I reached the world from home, but God wanted a, f- a yes from me. And so I ended that particular blog p- blog post with, if this yes will take me to the nations, Lord, to feed the hungry, to give water for the thirsty, to clothe the naked and you for the lost, then yes, Lord, I am a writer. And a couple of weeks later, I got invited to go on a trip with an organization called World Help. It's a faith-based humanitarian organization to write about Operation Baby Rescue. And it literally is stories about babies being rescued from the brink of death because of their dire situations induced by starvation or Hmm. um, dirty water or lack of... uh, uh medical care to write about these stories, literally babies being saved. Um mm-hmm. uh, and to share those stories through my blog. And and that's an organization that I continue to work with. It's an advocate for I'm the blogger community leader. I went I went to uh, Africa in January. Before that, um went to Haiti and then the trip before that was Guatemala and we have another trip to Ethiopia planned. Um next spring for safe motherhood which is just beautiful my first my all of three of those trips for about operation baby rescue and now the next trip is going to be about saving mothers while they give birth to children in ethiopia and so when you talk about this you know god's redemption where i was you know a pregnant teenage mother that was Mm -hmm ready to terminate my baby because I didn't see any way out and God rescued me and he rescued her. And now 20 years later, he's allowing me to be part of a work where babies are being rescued and mothers are being rescued Mm. and, and that I'm seeing his redemption. He's continually redeeming the situation. And that's just one more of the ways. I love that. Michelle
0: Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your med story with us and for giving us a little glimpse into God's redemptive power, and um, you are a living example of his love, and I'm just so thankful to know you.
2: Jackie, thank you so much. I wholeheartedly believe the same about you, and I just love you so much. Oh, thank you,
0: friend. Well we will talk soon. Okay, okay, bye-bye. Well, that concludes this episode of the Mud Stories podcast. Didn't you just love all that Michelle Lynn shared? I just, I know the episode went a little long, but I just didn't want to cut out any of her wonderful words the way she shared about how God has met her in some really tough moments in her life. And it's my hope that as you are facing your tough moments, wherever you are today, that you would be inspired by all those moments Michelle Lynn felt like rock bottom where she didn't know how she was going to make it and for you to know that if you're feeling that way there still is hope for you. I'm just so thankful that you joined me today that you continue to show up and listen to these mud stories that champion the grace and mercy and redemption of God and you know if you have been encouraged or given hope or inspired by any of these stories I would sure love to hear from you. You can always leave a comment on the blog Post. You can reach out to me on Twitter. You can send me an email, send me a voicemail through the blog. Um, You can write an iTunes review if you feel so inspired. You can get there by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes. And that just helps so much if you write a review uh, for iTunes to be willing to show this podcast to other people. Um, otherwise we get buried in the the big stack of podcasts that are out there and it's hard for people to uh, find find us so I'd so appreciate it if you have time to head over to iTunes and do that and as usual I'm just so honored that you'd spend you know an hour of your day with me listening to these amazing stories and um, getting in encouraged and inspired by how good God is I hope it's my prayer that that's what this is for you you know I just Love to hear what's happening in your life and what you're finding hope from as you listen. Also, it would be so amazing if you would share this podcast with even just one friend. You know, sometimes even more than our online efforts to market our stuff, sometimes just a word of mouth, you know, comment or mention to a person in real life can go so far to help spread organically the message about this podcast. So find one person, email him, send him a voicemail message, text him, send him a boxer message, whatever you want to do. I would just be so, so grateful if you'd do that. And so um I'll wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for joining me again. And you can find all the show notes as usual over at mudstories.com. Oh, and by the way, I added a new podcast player over there. So it should be really easy for you even on your mobile device or on the on the website to be able to play each and every episode just right from there. It's really cool and um, I'm just thankful to have that on there now. So you can find that at mudstories.com. Or you can find these specific show notes at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 13. And again, thanks so much to Michelle Lynn for her candor and transparency and for sharing such intimate details of her life with all of us so that we can, number one, give God thanks and praise for all that he does in our lives. And number two, so that we can all know that what he's done for her, he can do for us. So no matter what, we're facing today, no matter where we've been or what lies ahead, may we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day.
1: Feels a press upon my mind a pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the plane, and I never will find a way out, and then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see your strong arm reaches to me. You must see. My tired soul As you lift me out Of my muddy hole You wash me up With your sweet grace And you lead me to A safer place Again I <laughs> never-ending mother feels to press Upon my mind A pool That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the plane And I never will find a way out And then I feel next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place. You overwhelm my broken thoughts and you mend my lost and damaged heart. I find myself where I belong in your safe embrace as a grateful song to sing. A grateful song grateful song.